Hi, and welcome to another episode of Garmology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. My guest today is a repeat guest. Holly, would you like to uh, do your Hi. little intro? Hello, uh, my name is Holly or Ollie. I, I go by both. We're, who knows in this day and age? Names, what are they? Um, <laughs> and I am an author, journalist and general writing person. Uh, that's kind of the only way to describe what I do, I think. Probably one of the busiest people I know, really, because you've got two books out at the moment. Yes. In two the out field of, of uh, cosplay. cosplay. Yeah. So I've got the two out at the moment, I'm writing a third uh, and just I continuously don't I don't stop you know that <laughs> you've seen my Instagram I have I have it's so it's a wonderful Instagram I love your cosplaying and you were here when I did season one I think it was and talked about cosplaying and clearly cosplaying hasn't sort of stopped since then no it, it's in fact I think it's probably taken off because we had a we had a pandemic and uh, everyone was bored and at home and went, oh, this looks fun. I've finally got time to try it. Um, and it seems to have just gone over the last, uh, particularly last year. I've seen a lot of people who've suddenly found a moment to give it a go. And, and they've really enjoyed it, which has been great. Really lovely to see. So if we sort of loop back to the start, for those that aren't sort of aware of what cosplay is about, could you give us the sort of intro? Yeah. So cosplay is, I think, the easiest way to talk about it is it, it's a form of dressing up, essentially. Um, but it kind of comes with the thing of being more of a subculture than necessarily just putting on a costume and going to a fancy dress party. You know, if you, they are different things. And it's very difficult when you look at the two dressing up and, and cosplaying and kind of going, well, what is the difference? And I, over the course of writing actually both of these books, kind of come to the conclusion that it is to do with the level of subculture involved in it. So yeah, cosplay is, Dressing up as characters from media, uh, in general, any media, it can be anything from video games, anime, superhero films, people dress up as drag queens now from RuPaul's Drag Race and stuff like that, as well as books, comics, pick a media, somebody's dressed up as it. And uh, they go to conventions or photo shoots, go to all sorts of things. Some people will wear costumes to uh things like Disneyland when they're allowed and stuff like that so like it, it basically it's this massive subculture of putting on costumes making your own costumes um uh, and engaging with other people and showing a lot of love for uh your favorite media basically that's quite a difficult thing to describe but that's the best i can describe it as i think that's uh you're probably completely right uh about it being a subculture and it's dressing up but if you're dressing up with a purpose like that, then it's cosplaying. But whilst many of us dress up or consider what we're doing dressing up normally, we're not sort of cosplaying because we're not trying to emulate anyone. Yeah, and I mean, I think the level of emulation is depends because obviously you can cosplay as your own characters. So I guess or like your own original designs, that still counts. Um, I think it's more to do with the interaction you have. So like if you're doing like kind of doing it within uh there's a community element to it. So you can cosplay at home on your own, but when you kind of take it out into the the next step into either the internet sphere or going to a convention or something like that, you suddenly kind of have a um you know a higher level of interaction. That is where I think like the big difference between fancy dress and cosplay is obvious. Whereas like I said you can do it at home on your own and you're still cosplay. I'm not going to say it's not, but I think it is the difference between the uh, 
yeah, kind of a thing of like, oh, you're just doing it for a fun night out as opposed to you're doing it because you enjoy the interaction, you enjoy the, like you said, the emulation elements of it, the acting elements of it. Play, it's called cosplay, right? You know, (laughs) it's about a little bit of kind of more fun and excitement, but also a certain amount of like storytelling involved and generally kind of thinking, I love this thing, whether it's Captain America or Sailor Moon or, you know, like I said, drag queens or anything like that. Like I'm currently right now wearing like Kingdom Hearts gear because I love Kingdom Hearts. So, you know, anything like that is like, you kind of go, that is that love and that passion for the thing is what makes it cosplay as opposed to maybe, I'm just putting a costume because I'm going out for Halloween. Not that that can't be a gateway, not that you can't be a cosplayer and do that. You know, it there's lots of different ways in, but I think when you look at it as a whole and as a, a hobby, as a subculture, it's more about that passion and that drive and the kind of the like I said, the various levels of community interaction that you get. Because the interaction, the sharing, either going out meeting people or showing it on social media is a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think people kind of think that when you share on social media what you're doing it is for attention. And I don't think it's about attention and likes and popularity. Like of course there'll be some people who want that. There always is. But like and I I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing either. Um but it's more about showing your community what you're doing and being like getting kind of that nice sort of, oh, wow, you've done a thing. That's so cool. I love your costume. I love, I love how you've done this bit. And oh, can we talk about this? Because I also love that. And like this skill you've used, I want to learn. So can we, you know, and that kind of more kind of, it opens a dialogue, I guess is the thing you share it on social media, you share it in real life and you're essentially telling people, hey, I'm here and I'm part of this community the same as you. Let's talk about it. Let's be friends. Let's you know, create and do stuff together, which I think when you're kind of, I think if you look at it as just dressing up, you you miss all of that. You know, all of that kind of, it is sorry, about community and friendship and like I said, love and passion and all that kind of thing, which I just don't think is the same thing as saying, I'm dressing up and going out. Clearly not. And uh, seeing the level of um, skill that's gone into a lot of the, the cosplay can we say outfits or setups, get-ups? Um, All of the above. <laughs> oh, God, just I, I, I think it's very fair to say that, yeah, you want to show that off. I mean, if I was making one of these really advanced outfits, I'd, I'm proud of it. Absolutely. And I think, like, there's this thing that I think a lot of, and I think a lot of it's down to, to social media and our current sort of place in the world is that people assume that if you're sharing something because you're proud of it because you've enjoyed making it you've enjoyed or creating it in whatever way you do whether that's buying pieces and putting them together making the whole thing from scratch whatever you know and you're proud of how this thing looks and the time it's taken for you to get to wearing it on your body people assume it's a level of being selfish and self-importance to that and I, I don't think that's true like of course there's a certain level of selfishness to every action humans take we're human, right? We like being told, yay, well done, good job. You know, that makes you happy. And that could be construed as selfish, but it could also just be construed as, oh, wow, I'm so happy with what I've done. And my friends think it's cool. And all these other people think it's cool. That's great. And that gives me a little bit of happy, happy juice because, uh, you know, and definitely if you want, if you make something, you spend a long time on it, you want to share it with people. You want people to say, wow, that's really cool. I see what you've done there. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I wonder if it comes down to the fact that you're making yourself look good in your cosplay outfit, 
Whereas if you're making something else, be it a cake or a nice car, or you've whittled a bowl out of wood or something, it's not about, it's not reflecting yourself, but it's reflecting your actual product. Yeah, I suppose, I guess that could be argued about fashion in general. Like if you're putting a picture up of yourself in a nice outfit, I think people are going to be like, oh, you're showing a picture of you rather than thinking, oh, you happen to be the carrier for these clothes and yes, they look nice on you and yes, they fit well, but you are essentially sharing the construction you've made and your body, your being happens to be part of that. You've done your hair nice, you've done your makeup, all that kind of stuff. And I wonder whether we're not very good at disassociating that as like the human body is part of the creative art form and a tool for the art form in the same way that we are if we don't see the person present say if you have a painting or something like that because like is a photography self-portrait selfish or you know about the self if it's a piece of art like would we say that like a, a portrait that someone's painted of themselves is that the same thing I don't know. It's, it's very Ooh, difficult, this, isn't this it? This got deep. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's probably about, is it art or is it just about me, me, me? Yeah, exactly. And for every single person involved in, whether it's fashion, alternative fashion, subcultures, cosplay, LARP, historical enactment, whatever, it's going to be different for each person. I think there is a level. It's kind of like those slider bars. You know, there'll be a level of each different thing involved and they change mm. depending on the person you're talking to. Because, like, I'm not going to lie, it's really nice when I get likes on my pictures on Instagram. I've worked hard on them and often I work hard on them with my other half, who's a photographer, and so we do them together, create, create set pieces and all this sort of stuff. And so for us, it is a bit of a labour of love. But And so it's really nice when you get the... oh. Yeah, it did really well. But at the same time, I tend to pick costumes and characters that are unusual, to say the least. People may not have heard of them. They may be from things that uh, people wouldn't expect to be cosplayed from, like like Discworld books and stuff like that. Um, and so I don't, I'm aware that I'm not going to get like the big popular thing from that, but I kind of don't care. I, I don't I don't mind. I'm doing it because I love that character and I loved making that costume and I enjoyed putting that set piece together and all that kind of stuff. And I did it because I wanted to create that thing. And that's that's what I personally want to do. Whereas other people might be like, I want to do this character because actually I want to show off my skills in making. And this character is a great carrier for that because they're popular. And so lots of my work will be people, my work will be seen by lots of people, you know? And so it's different for different people. And I think it, I, I don't think we should be judgmental of anyone's reasons for doing it because at the end of the day, they'll join the community and they'll have fun in the same way that people join the fashion community in one way or another, and they have their fun in their own way. So it's quite, I think it's quite exciting to see everyone's different takes on it. And some people might stick around for a couple of years and then decide they don't, they don't need it anymore, or they want to move on with their life into something else. And some people might be me uh, and become weirdly obsessed with like the whole culture and <laughs> the background and where it came from and the history of the whole thing and be like, this is so fascinating. Why do humans do these things? You know, Humans have been dressing up for an awful long time <laughs> and we haven't stopped. Why? Why do we like it so much? Who knows? It's great fun, though. So, Because mm. it does sort of overlap with all sorts of other... I mean, if we start getting into the dressing up thing, basically we're all doing it all the time in various ways or other. But the cosplay bit, is that has that sort of come with the internet? Not Probably. really. So the first proper cosplays are 1939, uh, what we could call cosplay. They're at, uh, the first ever Worldcon, like World Science Fiction Convention, uh, which is that year. 
um, and it's uh, Myrtle R. Douglas, also known as Morojo, um, and her boyfriend at the time, Forry Ackerman, who were two of the big names. In, uh, if you look up kind of the history of fan culture and where these things came from, they're two of the, the big standout names in it. Um, and like they turned up at the first ever Worldcon, pre-1940, um, wearing costumes that she'd designed and made based on H.G. Wells's work. Um, so, and then it just spiraled, like, got huge. Uh, the next year, loads of people were doing it, and, and they set up cosplay competition, all this sort of stuff. The word cosplay doesn't come around till the 80s, but the concept of it is there. Um, but people were doing it sort of before then in a way that I don't know if we can necessarily call cosplay because it wasn't necessarily at conventions and didn't necessarily have that community element yet. But the first time we see someone do a science fiction costume, or at least recorded science fiction costume that I could find when I was researching this, is in 1907, which was at a masquerade ball in Washington State, I want to say. Um, and a couple turned up as characters from a comic called Mr. Skygacked, which was a serialized, the first serialized alien comic, like about aliens, in, in a newspaper ever. And they'd come as the main characters from that. Um, to this ball, and that was like the first thing, I could, thing on in like I could find when I was researching of somebody come, dressing as a character specifically from what we would call pop culture, science fiction, uh, rather than maybe more kind of traditional folk cultures, so like biblical characters, mythical characters, Robin Hood, all that kind of stuff. That would have been what people were doing pre kind of this. Uh, what you see at things like the carnival. Uh, the Venetian carnivals. So you see like people doing the Harlequin and, and all of those kind of the, um, what are they called? Uh, yeah, the latte characters, those ones, you know, so they are very specific to the Venetian carnival that people dress as those characters in the same way that you'd kind of see a lot of uh, aristocratic and royal courts doing masquerade and mass balls right through, you know, what is, you know, they had money, what else were they going to do? Uh, you know, Queen Victoria was very known for it. Um, almost all the kings of France are known for it, you know. And But they were probably dressing up as historical figures, folk figures, all that kind of stuff, you know. So, like, the, your Robin Hoods, your kind of King Richards, all that sort of thing, rather than what we would call popular culture characters, like aliens, superheroes. But then there's an argument to say, well, what was popular culture before we had science fiction? What was the popular culture there? And you know, it changes, doesn't it? So like I was saying, humans well, like dressing up. They like having fun. They like engaging with character and play acting and all this sort of stuff. But they don't necessarily want to be actors. They just want to have a go. Um, and so when you kind of look at it from that respect, you kind of go, yeah, it could be seen as a very modern thing, but it could just be seen as something that we've always done. Right back to the point where you know, humans are making costumes out of animal skins and, and wooden masks to imbue themselves with the power of a, a god they're telling a story about or just to tell the story of Beowulf or whatever it is. It, you go right back to that and people are still doing it. It's just a modern reiteration of it. We Like superheroes, Star Wars, all this stuff, there are modern myths and legends. They're the stories we tell to ourselves to talk about the hero's journey, to talk about morality and all this sort of stuff. Pop culture is doing that in the same way that, you know, bardic travellers would have been telling it to different people around the country and all that kind of thing. The same way shamans would have been telling these stories, the same way that we almost talk about religion. These stories are doing that for us now. So aren't they the same thing? 
just because we trivialize one as a, a silly thing that teenagers do or nerds do and one is oh well this is clearly important because we did it in ancient times it was ritual and all that kind of stuff not really <laughs> you know it's arguably the same thing and I expect each group will sort of scorn, look scornfully at other groups, and uh, we are the only true. Yeah, just absolutely. As that does. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sorry, that went a bit deep. I got a bit like, oh, let's talk about human nature. Um, I just find it completely fascinating that as a species, we we are obsessed. We are obsessed with storytelling, and we are obsessed with dressing up. We just are. Oh, you can't you can't avoid it. You look anywhere, and it's there. Uh, it's fascinating. It sort of covers every aspect of of where we are and what we are. Uh, I mean, I don't need to dress up as a Superman, but I can dress up in stuff that makes me feel good without it being a pop cultural reference. Exactly. And I think people kind of... Sometimes I think there is something about putting on a costume like Batman because they are archetypes right so like you put on batman and you get you can kind of play act at being more confident and more stoic and all these sorts of things that maybe you wish you were and it may give you that first hint of how you could be like that and then you find ways of bringing that like you said you put on a jacket you really like and it makes you feel confident and i think maybe sometimes it needs more of a push than that particularly if you're somebody who's shy particularly if you're somebody who maybe doesn't necessarily know how like is a bit worried about how to dress themselves that people might laugh at them and all that kind of stuff whereas cosplay because everyone's doing it it's a safe space to to take those first steps into self-exploration basically and to look at yourself in a different light and so that's why i think sometimes people stick with it because they enjoy the community and the crafting elements and all that sort of stuff but i also think it's why some people after a few years or so, are like, actually, I feel like I've got what I needed from this, which is a sense of self-confidence. It is a sense of, I can be whoever I want, and I found that within this community. I suppose uh, a good few of the outfits also include a mask. So you could completely change who you are. Yeah, I mean, some of them complete full-face masks. You can't see who's underneath them at all. Some, you know, it's just Batman, so you're like... I feel like I'm doing this as if people can see me and they can't uh, like across the face or whatever. Or even if it's just a little domino mask, you know, I know there's a ma- the feeling of kind of freedom when you put a, a mask on and nobody can tell who you are is astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. Even just like I, you know, a lot of my, I don't really wear masks with my costumes because I am not a big fan of having my face covered. The last few years have been fun, super fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, even me changing my hair, wearing a wig or like wearing a different costume and knowing that somebody who'll see me on one day won't recognize me the next day because I've changed everything about my appearance. That's really freeing. Also a little bit annoying sometimes when you're like, wait, no, it's me. I talked to you yesterday and people have to go, oh, yes, yes, I know who you are. <laughs> you're like, sorry, new costume, who dis? Um, you know, um, so I think there's a certain amount of there's def- I can completely understand that sometimes it's like you're walking around and nobody recognizes you and that's great fun. So, it's become so big now that you've started writing books. Yes, yeah, it's tell me about books. Okay, so the two books. uh, So, it's yeah, it's two books. The first one is um, a guide to film and TV costume cosplay, even, and the second one is a guide to manga, anime, and video game cosplay. Uh, They're kind of divided along roughly along those lines. I feel like the titles are possibly a little bit. 
misleading. Essentially, it's a division into the Western canon of uh, particularly American, but also European uh, stuff, and then kind of the and then the the Japanese and um, other sort of Far East Asian co- uh, countries and their influence on uh, the scene. So you know, it, it, that was kind of the easiest way to describe it. Uh, so the first one looks very heavily into where, like I said, talking about like the first cosplays and like all the stuff in America and how it already kicked off this massive thing and how I think a lot of people don't realize how old it is. Even if you're just looking at kind of the last 100 years, it's just been there. Um, but also looking at kind of more of how uh, if you have something from a film or a TV show, often that thing exists in real life. So if you have a costume, say... We keep, we'll use Batman. Batman's a perfect example, actually. You have the Batman costumes. They exist. They've been in films. You can see them. You can go to museums and see exactly what those look like. And you can walk around them and have pictures from every angle. And so how you can recreate that and move it across or decide that actually that thing that's in that costume doesn't work for me. Whereas if you have manga, anime, video games, the likelihood is those things just don't exist. Somebody's drawn it. It's a 2D drawing. How do you take a 2D drawing and put it into real life? Or particularly in a video game, even if you can turn it around 360 degrees, it's entirely animated. And so <laughs> animated costumes don't need to make sense with physics, you know, right. and how you can, and like talking a lot about those very specific elements that like, in one way, if you're recreating something that's real, that's got its own challenges and looking at the fabrics of use and all that stuff, whereas recreating something that is entirely fictitious in it in its appearance you know you've got to think in a very different way and those two they're very kind of two parts of cosplay that are um quite distinctly if you're you know you'll do one path for one thing and one path for another so it was really fun talking about all of those different elements and then talking about like how on earth you even just make them in the first place like i think a lot of people expected it to be a book full of tutorials and it's not because no um Essentially, I wanted to go, let's talk about how you make cosplay, how you get involved in it, and this is where you go to find out that information. Let me give you the basics, and then I essentially point people in the right direction for whatever it is they want to make. So if you want to do phone work, I give a list of places to go and learn that, ways, techniques, tools, all that kind of stuff. Want to learn sewing, this is fabric types, this is how you use a sewing machine. More kind of that way inclined, but again, pointing people to the books they might need to read, the YouTube channels they might want to watch, or like giving people advice and choices on how they're going to go about learning their thing rather than saying, this is the only way to do it, because I don't think there is only one way to do it. And that was really important to me to be like, I don't want to dictate how you make cosplay, but I want to give you the tools to go and find out how to do it on your own. Um, Because I think a lot of books that say cosplay on them are kind of that person's way of doing things, which isn't to say they're wrong, but it does mean that not everybody's going to be able to engage with that specific technique for whatever reason, whether it's cost, whether it's space, whether it's just it doesn't fit your brain and the way your brain works. You know, so it's very much like, here's all the options you could have, or as many as I could fit in the book. Uh, Go and look at them. They're on the internet and you can get these other books and all this sort of stuff. So it was quite fun to kind of do that and research about it and be like, how do I tell people all the exciting ways to do cosplay and all these different examples um but yeah i also wanted to talk about going to conventions because i think a lot of people particularly younger teenagers haven't really been to any yet because they found cosplay in lockdown and then there wasn't anything to go to um so i wanted to give people a chance to learn about how to go to a convention without being scary and overwhelming the first time you go because they are huge events sometimes they are 
ridiculously large, particularly the American ones. And it can be a lot, even if you're quite an old hand at it. Like I remember the first time I went to an American convention, I was like, I don't, I don't even know what to do. There's, there's too much here. There's so much going on. I, I'm lost and overwhelmed. And I've been going to conventions for 10 years. I can't imagine what it would be like going, having not gone to anything. So, um, I kind of wanted to advise people on how to go about doing those sorts of things and like what to do, especially when you go as a teenager and your parent, you don't want your parents to come with you. How do you stay safe? Um, so yeah, it's kind of all that kind of stuff. Like I really kind of wanted to talk about stuff that it doesn't normally get talked about in regards to cosplay and cosplay books. And at the same time, sort of imbue my love for the, the hobby and the subculture within its pages and, and show a huge diversity of different things and what you can achieve. Uh, no matter what, like the pictures, my, my, my wonderful partner, who's a photographer, as I've already mentioned, uh, did pretty much all the pictures for the books. And one of the biggest things we wanted to do was go, make this book as diverse as possible. <laughs> as many different people, as many different costume styles, as many different levels of ability and all that kind of stuff as physically possible. I don't want this to be the best in inverted commas or the prettiest in inverted commas. All those, I don't want it to look like that. I want it to look like everybody who ever does cosplay is in this book, or at least they are represented by somebody in this book. Because otherwise it becomes a one trick pony, right? Like you just have the only people who ever get seen as being part of this hobby are the people who are deemed good enough again, in inverted commas, um, by somebody else. And that's not fair. So and of course, not everyone sort of looks good as a superhero. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't look good as Captain America or <laughs> someone like that. <laughs> and I don't think it matters if you look good. I think it matters if you feel good. I think that's it might the make thing. You, I suppose it might make you feel even worse trying to yeah, of course. Sort of pull off someone you clearly... I mean, God, I'm failing at that as well. I think it's up to, it, it genuinely depends on your like your opinions for you. Because if you think, actually, you know what? I want to be Spider-Man. I'm going to be Spider-Man. doesn't matter. Great. Awesome. And, but at the same time, if somebody does feel, you know what? I'm, I don't necessarily feel like my body type's good enough or I don't... They need to work that through themselves without... Mm either feeling like somebody's going you know that kind of toxic pos positivity of like of course you're good enough you do it you do whatever you want yeah because that can hurt somebody just as much as telling them that they look bad you know so i think it really depends on the per you know each like i said each individual's take on the hobby or take on their own needs you know i personally as much as and i keep coming back to it and it's because i want to cosplay batman but personally i'm five <laughs> foot six and i'm like i'm a little little tiny human um and i just don't think i think if i wore that costume i'd feel bad because i didn't look like batman and that's not to say that like i would tell anyone else not to do it but it's just me personally i'd be like i don't feel confident in this i don't feel happy in this because i don't look like i could stomp on the joker's head um so like that i think is something that is very very personal to each each one you know if you engage in a hobby but at the same time, don't tell somebody they can't cosplay a character because they don't look like them. Like that's not fair either. So you, you could just find a very, very small Joker. I could. That's true. I could find someone who's smaller than. I did have a joke once that me and my friends were going to cosplay a friend of mine who's um, a good like head shorter than me. We were going to do um, Captain America and Bucky, but just pretend we were like the miniature versions like have like a cardboard box so we looked like we were toys in a cardboard box because we were so small <laughs> um we didn't do it in the end because it just it became a bit unwieldy as a project but it we just thought it would be funny to be like no 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 we're, we're action figures 
because they're little <laughs> pocket sized. Looking through the photos in the book, I see this. I mean, the selection is bewildering. There's just so many different ones. And it does strike me that, I mean, you said people were cosplaying Robin Hood back in the day, so to speak. Uh, was he the only hero around then? But nowadays, we've just got hundreds, hundreds to choose from. I think people, there's, you know, things for every era. Like, there are stories, like, people have done King Arthur and stuff like that. Like, the uh, there are just ones that I think remain to us, like the ones that stuck it out through folk history. But there are so many choices. That, I mean, it is huge. Pop culture. I think the reason that cosplay particularly exploded in the era it did is because suddenly we had a way to engage with media that wasn't necessarily going to the music hall or going to the theatre or uh, reading or, you know, listening to somebody tell a story to you. You know, we suddenly got wireless and TV and then the internet and then internet in our phones, you know, and suddenly that means that anybody and everybody can create and that means there's more and more media being created and more and more demand for media. Whereas pre those technological changes, you kind of a bit sort of stuck in what in how you engage with media. You only have four choices and you probably only have those four choices if you're literate. You know, otherwise you have maybe two choices. <clears throat> so it's like, that's a very big shift is, you know, not only the creation of more ways of engaging with media but also more people being educated more people being given opportunities all that kind of stuff it suddenly means that like you said there's now hundreds of choices thousands of choices of things to cosplay from to the point that you could cosplay from something that nobody else has ever heard of but is still a piece of media that is legitimate and out there and and real and at the same time but then you kind of go back and so you i think that is a big paradigm shift essentially like I'm currently thinking about cosplaying from a comic that is only published on a internet like forum thing, uh, webtoons. It's an app you get on your phone and you read comics on your phone and I'm going to cosplay from something from that, right? Okay. <laughs> because like that's a thing that you can, and, I mean, the most popular webtoons is the, uh, it's amazing. And it hosted, hosts Laura Olympus, which got so popular now making a Netflix show of it. And it's going to be on the BBC and stuff like that. Like, Laura Olympus is huge. It's like one of the biggest kind of, I would say, online fandoms at the moment. Um, and half the world, if you don't go on Webtoons or you don't whatever, you have no idea it exists. <laughs> isn't, that in- isn't that fascinating? That you can have that kind of thing of like, in some ways, like this is a huge cultural phenomenon and in other ways, nobody, you, other people have no idea about it because like it's on one platform. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And then, you know, you, podcasts everyone and anyone can make a podcast we all make podcasts we're all having a go at one you know everyone will have a go and people cosplay from podcasts i cosplay from podcasts i love it it's fun because they you don't know what those characters look like you can decide for yourself <laughs> well, that is a completely bizarre idea right and the same idea of cosplaying from a book you get like three pieces of information about what that character looks like and you have to decide for yourself what that character looks like you know well as long as the character isn't described as having tentacles it's probably not that hard yeah it depends like obviously like i cosplay from the discord books and i decided i'm gonna cosplay the character who very specifically wears a golden suit (laughs) yeah yeah how it took a while that one took a while um and so like it just depends on like how much description there is how much often fans will kind of decide what that character looks like 
you know, they'll kind of all come together and a various one idea will win out over others because of things that are mentioned about that character or something like that. But yeah, there is just so much media to interact with now that that's why I think there is this massive, massive thing where you'll be like, I was at a convention last weekend, my first convention in two years. It was strange. It was a strange experience. Um, and half the costumes, I had no idea what they were. None. Because it was just stuff I had no idea how to engage with. You know, I was like, I don't know what that is. Is it? Is it from a cartoon? Is it an anime? And like, I had to keep asking people what they were because like, I just, I felt kind of old. I was like, am I really out of the loop? Do I not know what this thing is? Turns <laughs> out it's just there's so much stuff to choose from. You're never going to know what everything is. And it's astonishing. Is that good or bad though? I think it's both. I think if, like, in some ways, it's kind of like, it's a bit, like you said, overwhelming, bewildering. You're like, what is all this stuff? But in other ways, if somebody's kind of dressing up as something they love because they love it and actually it doesn't matter if nobody else understands it, mm. then that's a good thing, surely, because it's about that self-appreciation and, and understanding and uh, I suppose like it's good for diversity. It wouldn't be like Tintin's over that way, Darth Vader's over there, what's it's there. Yeah. Exactly. And you'll find that if you're cosplaying for something particularly rare, you'll find that one other person who's into that thing and, and you're probably going to be friends forever then, you know? <laughs> like, I, it's always a great fun. I One of my favourite things is when like I've been in a costume that maybe nobody's recognised all day and then I have one person who gets really, really excited about it and then you talk to each other for like half an hour because you're both really into that one thing and it, that's great. That's really fun. Um, so, you know, it, it, it can be a good thing and it you know, especially if nobody recognises you at all, that's always a little bit upsetting. But which costumes do you never get recognised in? I have one costume that I can guarantee you that nobody will ever get. Uh, or I have never. I have had that costume. This costume for nearly five years now. Uh, it's one of my favourites to wear. Weirdly, because I it's so it looks so nice uh and it's from a video game a norwegian video game called earthlock festival of magic which is made by Snowcastle games who are a norwegian based gaming company and never even heard of them lovely people uh and i decided i wanted to cosplay from their game because i was like this is so much fun i loved it it was brilliant and i enjoyed it um and i'm the i'm still to this day the only person who's cosplayed from it um and Every single time I wear that costume at the convention, I get this weird thing of like, I really like your costume. The design's really cool, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> and then I get to play that. You should play this game. Here you go. Play the game. <laughs> so I think they can maybe get some business from me. <laughs> maybe we will go and buy the game after I've won the costume. I don't know. <laughs> I do wonder when you're making costumes, how much craft do you put into it? Is it sort of, this is going to last forever. This is top grade stuff. Or is it... We'll use a bit of styrofoam and a bit of paint on it. And... Uh, personally, I will attempt to make sure that it will last because I don't make things that frequently anymore. Like I, I tend to make one or two things a year uh, and I want them to last because I, they're going to go in my into my rotation and I don't want, you know, I prefer making something that I know is going to still be wearable in five years time, you know, as long as... I haven't put on too much weight. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, that, that was the big one. Checking that my costumes fit for a convention after two years in lockdown where I knew I'd put on weight. Super fun. I enjoyed that. <laughs> it was fine. Everything fit okay. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so for me personally, I want to make things to last. And that's just my 
preferred way of doing things. I like that. I enjoy the. I take pleasure in creating something that I know I will either be able to repair if it does break, or I can wear it until it. You know, I will wear it. And it will not fall apart. There's something in that that I like. But that's not for everybody. Some people want to make something quick. They want to make something because they just want to try that character for a weekend or they kind of, maybe it's more about doing it just really fast and having a fun time with it. And then they move on to the next thing because they change maybe what they like so frequently. Whereas I know that I'm the likelihood of me making a costume from something means that I'm probably going to like it for a relatively long time. Like I'm not going to get bored of it because I know that's who I am as a person. But if you're not that kind of person and you want to do things faster because you know actually in six months' time you'll be completely obsessed with something else, you're probably going to make things faster and you're probably going to make things uh, a little bit more as a kind of, this is fun now and I want to have fun now kind of thing. And again, both versions are completely valid. Um, Everyone has their... Like I was saying before this, I have a friend who's currently making a costume that's taken them three years... (laughs) Wow. <laughs> yeah, I was um, talking to her earlier and I was like, how long has you been working on this now, Beth? And she's there going, I think it's coming up three years now. And I'm like, you bonkers human. <laughs> it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. She's making um, Sansa's coronation dress from the end of Game of Thrones. It's literally just in that last scene of Game of Thrones and it's stunning. Um, uh... And it's, it's She was forging the other day, making metal parts for it. And it's utterly astounding. And I... I I don't know how she's got the patience. Because like I said, I like taking a long time over things. I don't like taking that. I'd, I'd be bored. <laughs> I think I'd be like, oh, please be finished now, please. The longest I've taken is a year on something. And that was mostly just because I kept stopping and starting. <laughs> well, I like the idea of forging stuff and really, really yeah. making it and actually learning lots of crafting techniques. And yeah. Way- I would say that most cosplayers have a weird set of skills of, like most of us can make our own clothes and probably do from time to time make stuff for ourselves i often do i often like i want to make something but i don't want to make a costume so i'm gonna make myself something to wear um a lot of people know how to do wire electrics because they've put lights into costumes and stuff like that so they learn how to do soldering and proper electrics a lot of people end up learning things like little bits of carpentry little bits of metal work uh, a lot of stuff to do with um how things like plastic and stuff work so you can like fix things it's really exciting it's a weird set of skills that then suddenly you go, oh, this is really useful in my day-to-day life. I, I know how to repair shoes. And the amount of times I've put shoes back together. <laughs> Why? Why is that useful? But I can. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, swear, I mean, a lot of these characters, especially the sort of manga type things, when you get into, well, back to tentacles again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's going to be really hard to make these things. Yeah, Absolutely. It's really difficult, particularly things like when you've got things like tails or wings or horns. Like a lot of people learn how to do prosthetics. A lot of people learn how to do... I know friends who have ridiculously insane puppetry skills because they wanted to learn how to make wings that they could have on motors and things. So like the stuff that people make is not... A lot of the time it's not slapdash. It's really highly considered crafting stuff and passing on those crafting stuff to other people when they've done it like i worked out you know if you worked out to do something and you want to share with people how you did it you don't just want to necessarily share the image of how the motors in your wings are working you want to tell people how you did it because then they can do it too and that's that's a big part of it is actually the sort of the communication of and the community element of sharing crafting abilities um 
there's a lot of people out there who have YouTube channels for that exact reason, that they might not be the most popular YouTuber in the world, but they have these these videos that have so much information in them that they will be timeless, you know, in their kind of usefulness. Um, and like I said, it teaches if it can teach somebody how to do electronics, which is a very useful thing to do, because I did it at school and I don't really remember it, but I'm learning at the moment how to wire up lights for a costume and that's teaching me how to wire plugs, how to do battery, use battery packs, all that kind of stuff, how to make sure I get the right voltage through something, which is actually quite complicated, but I'm learning it for my hobby. So it's, it, it, it's interesting to see that being the case with this, that you want to... I guess you kind of start finding that you learn your life skills in a different way, basically. <laughs> Well, learning things because you want to learn them is the best way. Exactly. You don't remember it if you're if you're just sitting in a classroom because you have to be in that classroom. You, you the likelihood of you remembering it is very low. Wanting to be able to go, you know what? I want to make a pair of trousers because I want to look like this character, and I can't buy a pair of trousers that looks like that. You're going to remember all of the skills that you got for the next time. So it's quite. Yeah, I would say it's more... I think people kind of look at it and go, that's a silly thing to do. Why are you dressing up as that? And it's like, well, actually, I could probably survive in the wild now. No, I couldn't. I couldn't. I'd be rubbish. I don't have a phone. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> I could definitely, like... I was the, the other day, I was like, oh, yeah, no, I, I think I wear probably one item a day that I made myself, or at least I repaired myself. And I don't think that's very common anymore. So... The, the sort of cosplay communities, are they still sort of mostly amateur driven mm. or has it become a massive commercial thing around it as well oh that's a difficult question weirdly um i kind of a mix there is a big commercial element about it a lot of people go on to particularly um there's kind of a particular push with some sort of like patreon and stuff like that for uh people who creating cosplays to to share how they're creating it behind paywalls um, because obviously it is a, a big investment and so that's kind of happening a lot more and people are making it into their job uh, and then a lot of people end up moving into film, theatre, TV as uh, in one way or another whether that's as costume makers, makeup artists even um, film, uh, camera operators and directors kind of coming from the cosplay scene that's that's becoming more and more common um, but I still think that the majority of people who engage with the hobby in one way or another are doing it as a hobby. They are amateurs. Whether they get to a level where their work, it could be professional, they're not doing it to be professional. They're doing it because they enjoy doing it rather than trying to gain something from it, whether that be monetary or, or, or professionally. Of course, there is a subset, like I said, there is a subset of people who want it to be their job in one way or another. And that's really cool because it means that you kind of see that you can kind of, especially if you've got parents whose kids are there going, oh, they really want to try cosplay, but I don't know. And you're like, well, it could be a job. <laughs> you know, That's a really good way of convincing me. Look, life skills and a job. Ooh, exciting. Um, but yeah, it kind of, again, it's a bit hit and miss, but it takes all kinds and I would definitely say that the large proportion, it is still an amateur thing. It is just about having fun. It is just about being part of the community. I think for a moment, like a blip, maybe five years ago, like everybody wanted to be famous in cosplay and everyone wanted it to be their job and be a professional cosplayer. And then I think everyone realized, oh, you know what? A, that means it is actually a job and it stops being fun. Um, and B, I quite like actually just having my hobby. Um and I, but I think that was kind of powered on by social media more than anything else. And I don't think it was actually that everybody thought they were, could 
or everybody even wanted to do that. It was just that social media kind of opened a window to that might be a possibility. Um, and for some people it, it was, and it was something they wanted to do and it, they, they pushed for it and they worked hard and they got it and they made it their jobs, whether that's as, like I said, in film and TV or through things like social media and Patreon and making content online. Um, and for other people, I think it is just... I mean, I write books about cosplay, but I don't just write books about cosplay. It just so happens that's an intersection of what I do, you know. Um, and co- writing books about cosplay has opened a huge amount of doors for me to writing other stuff, which has been great because it means that my hobby has facilitated my work, but it's still just my hobby. I wouldn't call myself a professional cosplayer. I would call myself someone who knows way too much about cosplay and happens to be good at writing um, and was able to kind of go, let's make those two things conjoin. But it's a, yeah, it's a difficult job to have as well. I think if you are a costume maker who wants it to be your job, it's it's harder work than maybe the tricksy social media gremlins would make you think, you know? Mm. So I don't know if that came across right. I there's not a huge market in in providing costumes or there are but only like big companies really um so like there's a kind of industrial sort of side to it <clears throat> where people kind of do off the rack costumes um and those are becoming more and more popular because people want to just be able to m- maybe buy something and go to an event to try it out or uh don't necessarily want to invest in in making something out of leather it's difficult and so there are like there's a range of different providers like you've got your kind of, in the same way there is shops right you've got kind of the lower level lower prices ones that might not be the best fabrics but they're still really fun and easy to get hold of and then you've got right at the other end things where they're made out of silk and wool and and high quality leather and all that kind of stuff and it's going to cost you the earth um and everything in between as well as people who'll do one-off commissions um and a lot of people make a career out of doing commissions for costumes in one way or another um so yeah that is there but it doesn't seem to be something that it's quite a difficult thing to set up. You you have to have a good business mind for it, I think, um, and you have to also realize it won't just be cosplay. If you're make if you're doing props making, you're doing leather work, you're doing um, costume creation. The likelihood is most of your market won't be cosplayers, unless, like I said, you're kind of a, a factory making just costumes, and and that's again that's a different thing, isn't it? So, I think as cosplayers, if you come into it as your hobby and you want. <clears throat> and you start wanting to make your job and start thinking, I'm going to do this as a freelancer or I'm going to do commissions or whatever. It isn't just making cosplay. It's it's making all sorts of different things, which is great fun. And I think that a lot of people probably enjoy that because they get to do different stuff all the time. But it's it's not an easy thing to do. Um, that sounds really harsh. It's amazing. And I'm, I'm so, I always think that people who do it are incredible people because it is difficult. And I have the utmost respect for them for doing it. But I don't want people to come in and go, yes, I can set up a business with cosplay because there's money in cosplay. Because no, there isn't. <laughs> I'd imagine that unless you find some really wealthy customers who are willing to pay for some really good stuff, it might be really hard to yeah. make a living. I think the same with any art, right? You know, so any art form, if you're you're using art as your main source of income, you're going to have the mix of the kind of the commercial side of it. And then like, so, you know, maybe doing freelance graphic design or something like that. And then, you know, you might get a few commissions for, for pieces. And there's always a bit of a mix of different stuff. Um, and I think cosplay kind of needs to be looked at the same way. You're not, I think, being like a professional cosplay maker isn't necessarily uh, something that 
can exist on its own. It it would be part of a larger spectrum of things. Is Star Wars still big in the cosplay world? Oh, a friend, Star Wars a friend Wars, of mine yeah. has this sort of Imperial Stormtrooper outfit, which is apparently really expensive. And I think they have these... <laughs> I, I don't know whether they're LARPs or, or, or cosplay events, but all these Stormtroopers get together. <laughs> So, yeah, no, super do. popular. Like the 501st, <laughs> which is the charity group. So the 501st, has, each each country has its own little segment. I don't know what they're called. Sounds like it might yeah. be what he's into. Uh, and there's also a couple of other ones. So like there's different ones. So there's the Imperial Outlanders, they exist, and uh, Real Icons. You know, And there's loads of different groups for it. And Star Wars is as popular as ever. Yeah, I, I don't think Star Wars is ever going to go away. It's always going to be that. I say this sat next to a box of clone trooper armor, like literally right next to me. <laughs> so, well, you know, I wish I could get out and show you, but it's all wrapped up in paper. Um, I, yeah, well, I literally, I, whichever direction I look, there's Star Wars stuff in this room. There's Star Wars stuff on my body. <laughs> um, Star Wars is hugely popular still. And the troop, trooping, which is what it's called when they get all together, um, that's a big thing. And a lot of conventions will get those groups to come along just as a group to kind of walk around the show and, and they might do char- charity collecting or they might um, be helping the showrunners in one way or another and they show up in their really cool gear and everyone gets a picture of Darth Vader and it's always fun. You know, everyone wants a picture of Darth Vader and Chewie. Those are the two big ones. Um, still, you know, the classics. Um, and it's even I enjoy, you know, I've been doing this for a really long time, but I will always enjoy seeing those guys at an event because they know how you know they they really know how to put on a show because they're a big group of people so you get the impact more than anything else they must feel the pressure though to have really good outfits because they're so well known because it must be pretty terrible that you've made your outfit you turn up people recognize you but think wow his uh his outfit really isn't that very good i think particularly for those groups they have a, a quality filter you have to pass a test, essentially, with your costume. It has to match up to certain things that they want because they're doing it to that level uh, as a group, um, which is somewhat controversial. Uh, like, some people kind of are like, well, you shouldn't have it like that. And again, like I said, each to their own. Um, but particularly the 501st has a very strict quality filter on like what those costumes need to look like uh, to be allowed at an event. Um, take that as you will. Whereas, like, if you just show up as yourself, then it doesn't matter, does it? <clears throat> but I think if you are attached to a, a group, a community who have a name and all that kind of stuff, then there there is a certain level of. I can imagine though, if there's if your concept is say two dozen imperial stormtroopers coming marching in, you want them all to look yeah good, you, you <laughs> sort want, of proper. and you want them to look like you know <laughs> that they're wearing a uniform, right? So you know, so, so the guy at the back who's made it out of egg cartons and stuff, he's really not. Going to work oh. very well. I, I quite like I, one of my favorite things is seeing somebody at a convention who's made it out of cardboard or egg cartons or something like that, and they and they've had a go. But I can see why, like I said, if a charity group or uh, the five of us are normally the ones that are like at the Star Wars premiere and stuff like that, often they get called on to go and be in the background of the film as an extra because their costumes are so high level. You know, you can kind of see why when they're doing it to, in that sort of way. But again, it's a different way of doing cosplay, isn't it? So it's their way, their way of having fun, and that's what they want to do. They cannot enforce it on everybody, but if you want to join the 501st, you're going to be doing it in the way the 501st are doing it. Because you are by- you want to join their club, you do their rules, right? So mm. if you don't want to join the club, you do it your way. 
I'm not in any clubs because I don't want to do the rules. I feel no less a person for this, you know. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, but at this point in the pod, you're probably wondering, where are the ads? I miss the ads. And you're right, there are no ads. I hate ads. If you'd like to buy me a coffee, though, you can go to buymeacoffee.com, enter gomology, and it's easy. And, uh, yeah, let's continue on. So, given that Star Wars is so big... What's the scene like for Disney costumes? Disney's fun. Disney's huge. Obviously, it's going to be massive. Um, And I really... So I love seeing Disney cosplayers because Disney have this weird thing, particularly when it comes to the parks, that they change the outfits the characters are wearing in the parks really frequently. And there's sort of this weird conspiracy theory that's essentially to try and stop cosplayers copying them because they want them to be like exclusive and Disney and special to the park. Um, And I've seen it mentioned a few times that people are like, is it, are they doing it like this so that people can't keep up with the costumes and they make a version from the park and then it's not the version that's in the park anymore? Um, and I would not put it past Disney for that to be true. You know, like that to be actually something that they do to be like, no, no, you can make the version from the film. And I don't know if anybody else has noticed, this may just be me being a crazy person, but like costumes in like the Marvel films and the Disney films like have these really intricate details in them. And there's part of me that's like, is that, the designers or like trying to see how far they can push like will they be able to do it will they be able to make this thing again conspiracy theory brain but it's kind of funny to see when they go there's no way that anyone could make Elsa's dress from Frozen it's insane and then suddenly someone turns up and they've made it you know um but there is definitely a certain thing of like the parks costumes change so frequently that there is a vibe amongst the Disney community that it, it might be to do with trying to stop people copying them so fast. But it's interesting to see. It's fascinating to see people do that, especially since there are very speci- there are a few companies who do Disney dresses specifically. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know how that goes down legally. There might be some interesting questions there. The power of the mouse is strong after all, you know. Yeah. I'm sort of thinking that Disney must be so big that would they be worried about a few cosplayers recreating their things sort of at home? It's when, yeah, it's when people start doing that. So in the same way that there are Star Wars groups, there are Disney groups and they often get like a sort of legion of Elsas. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. And they go, (laughs) but they get hired out for like birthday parties and things. Um, and that's when the problem comes in. Part of the reason the things like the 501st are so strict about it is because they are affiliated with LucasArts and therefore Disney, uh, which is why they get called on for all these sorts of stuff. Um, and often, um, or at least that's my my knowledge at this point. I may I may be wrong. I, I haven't looked into it in, in several years. But um, with the princess stuff, if you see, if you want your you know a princess to come to your kid's birthday party and all that sort of stuff disney aren't going to be too chuffed if someone turns up in a costume and, and then makes a big scene or all that kind of stuff because it 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 looks bad on them despite the fact they're a huge co- they're a huge company they they are really strict about their image rights um it was something we spent a long time thinking about how does this work when it comes to things like the cosplay journal and the books i wrote like when you have characters and people dressing up as characters turns out it's just fair right you know uh, fair use because it's an interpretation um but it is a really interesting thing to kind of ponder and a lot of these dress companies who make the dresses or uh hire out princesses they have to like use interesting euphemisms for the character and stuff like that so like it'll be like ice lady (laughs) 
for Elsa and things like that. So it's clearly, it's, it is this, but we're not saying it's that so that we can get sued. Um, it's, it's a really fascinating kind of, there's a, we, there's quite a lot of sort of legal stuff around it that's, you know, I think there's going to be some really interesting legal cases in the next kind of maybe decade or so to do with this sort of stuff about like what is fair use when it comes to cosplay and. Well, at least yeah. if you're making lots of money. <laughs> but yeah. I think unless you're making lots of money, it is a, it is a, I mean, you're really promoting the work of the people you're fans of. That's what me, that was my argument would be. And I do think that we've had it a few times where cosplayers have been targeted to take down, maybe they're selling images of themselves as a character or something like that. Um, not uncommon people do that, especially if they've got a relatively large following. It's a, you know, it's a way to make a little extra money. Um, but Disney have targeted people for particularly Marvel characters. Um, I know that people who cosplay Loki have had been told to take their stuff down and, you know, been sent cease and desists and stuff like that. Um, I, I could see that happening if they're selling the images on, say, OnlyFans and that they're not sort of wholesome. And Yeah. I mean, it obviously it depends on, like, what Disney what they think is worthwhile like which which ones they think are a good promotion which ones they think are let's not antagonize the fans which ones they think are worth keeping and i can imagine that's a like something that there's a lot of lawyers considering at the moment like what you know how do we deal with this especially when you talk about things like i mean only fans is not the first version of this stuff there's been hypersexualized versions of disney princesses forever you know like people draw art on the internet people have tattoos of it you know all that kind of stuff it's not uncommon uh, which i question in many ways uh why um (laughs) just don't really get it um but each their own as i've said um and i can be i i am fascinated as to why particularly in these elements and i don't know maybe it's because suddenly it's a real person wearing a costume and and so that's different it's interesting isn't it the copyright the legal stuff and what's worth disney's time and what isn't i suppose at the end of the day it's a question it's the age-old question of following the money so if Mm. it hurts them financially they'll react if it's making them money they won't i can imagine if they want to sell a print of tom hiddleston they want to be selling posters or whatever of tom hiddleston as loki in a certain pose and there's a cosplayer who's selling an image that's very similar then they might target that cosplayer to be like no we're selling something too similar to that you have to take yours down whereas actually if the thing is looks completely different and it's a completely different design then they're probably not going to bother you know i could imagine that happening do people buy photos of like that yes that's a big thing weirdly okay again like people have you know cosplayers have their own fandoms gets to a level of like a cosplayer may have their own fans specifically for them and that's it's fascinating isn't it people become celebrities out of it so you can then become someone who cosplays a cosplayer who's Mm -hmm. cosplaying something else Mm -hmm. crazy because the levels of (laughs) the levels to it it's inception all over i know I, I think it's fascinating. To, if nothing else, it's really interesting to see what's happening. Like, because I've been writing because I've been writing about the history of it. It's really interesting to see what's going to happen next, uh, and how people are going to. Because, like it, like I said, it's exploded. It's gone from being a very niche subculture to a kind of slightly less niche subculture to kind of pretty mainstream in maybe two decades, if that. Um, like when I started cosplaying, it was still really niche, and it is just been social media taking off that has changed that. Um, 
And that's, I think, that's where the changes are coming. Like I said, because there are now companies who are, they have factories in China or, or wherever making costumes and just people can just buy them rather than making them themselves. Are those companies with those factories a problem for big companies like Disney? Who knows? Or is it actually Disney go, you know what, that's fine because we're not selling those things so that's all right you know or is it who knows what's going to happen it's going to be very interesting to watch Mm. to see the the legalities but where do you think cosplay will go in the next stage or i to be honest i i don't know i think the big one is going to be technological advancements um a lot of cosplay has been at the cutting edge of things like cosplayers are massively to do with like how with 3d printing pushing 3d printing to like see what it can do design new things all that kind of stuff that's a lot of that's been down to to cosplayers and prop makers um i think we're going to see a lot of things like thermoplastics and stuff entering the mainstream because of how uh, they've been used by costume makers in cosplay because they're not particularly used yet again as far as i'm currently aware um disclaimer 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 uh they're not used as much in film and tv as they are in hobbies whereas i think we'll probably see that we are seeing that shift we are seeing more thermoplastics so foams and stuff like that being used more to create costumes in in tv and film because it's really lightweight um and you can make them look really realistic i think the big thing with cosplay is it's just going to keep growing i don't think it's going to I don't know if the community will get necessarily larger because obviously there's always that thing of people leave out one end while others come in the other. That sounds awful. <laughs> oh, I just heard what I said. Oh dear. Um, but <laughs> so we'll just cut that. Uh, there will be people leaving the hobby as other people are joining the hobby. Um, but I think we're going to see more and more people maybe engaging with it in a more casual way. Um, but at the same time, I think we'll probably see a resurrection of traditional crafting because of it, because more people are learning how to do leather work, more people, like I said, are learning how to do metalwork and forging and things like that. More people are learning how to sew because they want to engage with the hobby. And there's be, I think for a long time, a lot of younger people, they've kind of been more, you know, they've wanted to play video games and all that kind of stuff. Um, and maybe haven't been able to afford to do cosplay, but everything's suddenly getting a lot cheaper. A lot of the materials are more accessible and much easier to get your hands on. And so it takes less effort to actually start getting involved in that thing, sort of side of it. Um, whereas in the past, it would have been really... I, I well know that it was very difficult to get hold of certain things. Um, and so, like, I think what we're going to see is more people kind of engaging on a more casual level with the crafting side of it as opposed to um, that being a bit more kind of, I don't want to say elitist, but a little bit less accessible to a lot of people. But we'll see. It'll be very interesting. Definitely the accessibility of things like 3D printing has made a massive difference to the the community and the, the accessibility of just knowing where to learn how to do these things. YouTube has, has changed everything. Um, anyone can learn how to do anything on YouTube. It's great. I love it. But I think that's probably what we're going to see is probably more people being able to learn how to do crafting in a less intense way where they can just do it for a weekend and have a go. So with all this fun cosplaying going on, how do you get involved in it? 
I mean, the best way to get involved is to kind of just show up at a convention, I think. And But there's also like lots of ways to get involved online, lots of Facebook groups if you're on Facebook. lots of, And to be honest, Facebook being the way it is, structures the groups better than many other social media sites. So like Twitter and Instagram, you're more likely to see other people doing cosplay than necessarily have somewhere where you can interact with them. Um, whereas Facebook, and I know like quite a lot of younger people now don't use Facebook, but I think the group setups there are, are better as a community. And a lot of them have uh, discords and stuff like that that you can join separately to that. But obviously finding those, you have to be on the Facebook first. So even if you don't really use Facebook, it's a quite a useful place to have maybe just make an account just so you can find the groups and see where they're chatting. Um, but honestly, I think a lot of the best way to find it is to go in person, go to the events, especially now that we're back. We're back, you know, the world is back on, you know, we've turned it, we switched on and off for two years. Um, and a lot of the conventions have started back up. A lot of them have really good COVID safety policies and no worries about like going to big events and stuff like that. Though we can understand that some people might, but you know, there is a variety of different events and different locations of sizes where, and some are outside, which is always good as well for anybody who's a bit worried. Um, so have a look in your local area, see what's on, see what you fancy doing, and then you can toddle along. And if you don't want to try cosplay the first time because you're a bit anxious, but you do want to see what people are doing, that's a great way to do it. Or you can just, you know, like I said, there's great shops you can look at. Uh, cosplay Sky is one I would recommend for finding stuff. Or if you just have a Google and have a search, you'll probably be able to find something you like. And check always check the reviews because you don't want to pick something on aliexpress and it and it's not good but there's a lot of good stuff out there so if you don't want to make something straight off the bat that's what you can do as well and you won't break the bank um but you can also just you know start looking online for tutorials and things get yourself started buy yourself a sewing machine scary <laughs> but they're not that expensive you get a good sewing machine for 70 quid and you've got something that'll last it won't break it won't fall apart you'll be able to fix it yourself they're really easy to mend um and again there's tutorials on how to fix your sewing machine if that does happen, which is great. But yeah, the best way to get involved is to just get involved in one way or another. Um, and a lot of it is, like I said, going and meeting the community, talking to people and getting some advice on how to start that way as well. And also like read my books because they're great and they tell you everything. All the stuff I'm saying, they're in the books, but in more detail with more with links and everything. It's very exciting. <laughs> coloured uh, photos so many coloured photos and like black and white photos from the 50s and 60s which they're my favourite ones the ones where you go right back to like 1949 and stuff like that and you've got these pictures of people in cosmic they're great they're great <laughs> they make me so happy can I mention something that I, it was reported back to me that it was totally cringe by a listener who was listening to my podcast a few episodes back, I think it was the one with uh, Ragnil Brockman, where she cottoned on to my ideas that I might be sort of cosplaying. So she asked me, do I cosplay it? And I I just froze. And I said, well, <laughs> yeah, I do kind of on Saturdays. I cosplay as Tweed Man. <laughs> And I knew, as I said it, this, oh, no, this is bad. But someone heard this with their teenager and they just, oh, cringe, oh. <laughs> but it struck me when you were talking about people cosplay things from books that really what my inspiration is there is from a William Gibson book where there's this shop in London called Tanky and Tojo. Oh, and this yeah. Japanese man in his tweeds is working. Mm. And the imagery he portrays in that is just... It's really very influential for me. Uh, and 
I'd love to go back now and sort of find that and find the descriptions because he's wearing something which sounds pretty special. Yeah. And that's always sort of in the back of my mind. But that, surely that's the thing. Like, I think that I tend to, I, I'm going to be honest, I tend to tell people that I dress as if at any given point I could be picked up by Doctor Who and that would totally fit in and it would work. Um, so, you know, right now I'm not necessarily looking like a time traveller. I think I've gone more a bit sort of cyberpunk. But I, I still feel like I could be like whisked away on some sort of adventure because I want to be one of those characters in those things, right? That kind of counts that my brain's like, well, dress like the characters you love. I have a whole wardrobe, which my other half is like, that's your Tintin wardrobe. And I'm like, that's valid. That's what it is. It's that well, I mean, I'm a boy reporter, off I go, <laughs> you know. I mean, isn't life dull and boring enough as it is? I mean, oh, can't yeah. we shine a bit and experience exactly. adventures? Have a good time. Like, I literally, so I went to the theatre for the first time in a long time um, on Sunday. It was very exciting. Um, and um, I decided, oh, sod it, I'm going to dress up. And so I'm there wearing like a Regency waistcoat with like a, a 1920s like grandpa collar shirt because I couldn't be able to put the collar on it. And um, my tweed 1960s sort of trousers. And I was just like, you know what? I feel great. I feel absolutely brilliant. None of this outfit makes sense together. I don't care. It, it made me feel like I was some sort of eccentric time traveller and it was, it was great. <laughs> I think we could all do with being a bit more eccentric time traveller. Yeah, I like the idea of that. It just makes me feel happy. And like sometimes your eccentric time traveller is from the past and sometimes it's from the future and sometimes it's from both put together. And I I would be very boring and I think I'd be very bored if I I always looked the same every day or looked like everybody else. It's just not me. I want to cosplay all the time. That sounds ridiculous. But literally elements of my cosplays have entered into my everyday wardrobe because I just enjoy wearing them. And like that makes me happy. My ideal self is elements of all of this put together. Why not cosplay as Tweed Man? I think maybe teenagers well, might the, see it as cringe. The, the, but... name, the name is pretty pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand why a teenager might hear you say that and go, "No, why?" <laughs> I, when you told me, I thought it was funny. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the sort of thing where you. You just freeze and you say the first thing that comes to mind because you're under pressure. And, oh, yeah. God. It's me yeah. every day at all times. I'm like, oh, everyone thinks I'm probably a bit of an idiot because like half the time I just sound like, I'm just there like deer in headlights. You want something sensible from me? Oh, no. Uh, yeah. But then again, you're just cosplaying something. So. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I want to cos- I'm being... cosplaying as a responsible human being today who definitely did their work and didn't just sit around and eat mini cheddars. That's a lie. It's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, wait. In summary, would you like to uh, quickly summarise what your book's about? Oh, okay. So the book And maybe are... mention this, this reputed third book. The re- third book, yeah. So the first two books, A Guide to Film and TV Cosplay and A Guide to anime, no, Manga, Anime and Video Game Cosplay, are the first and second of this wonderful collection. And they basically are your... Ex- the guide to everything about cosplay it's history the what i would call the costuming hobbies that come under the big umbrella so that's larp historical reenactment we could include drag in that but all of these kind of expressive costuming hobbies there's bits about those in there including alternative fashion as well um 
And then as well as how to get involved, like I said, how to go to your first convention and things like remembering that if your phone dies, you may need to remember some phone numbers. So like write them on your body somewhere <laughs> or like if you've got a or like and a piece of paper in your back pocket, just so you in case you have no idea how to get hold of your friends. Definitely not from personal experience. Very much from personal experience. Um, and just stuff like that. And like self-care, learning how to look after yourself when you're wearing a costume. And sometimes costumes are heavy and they hurt and your feet might hurt at the end of the day. And so it's okay to just take a break. You don't have to be on all the time. And just learning about like your rights as a cosplayer and a photographer at events, what it's like, you know, what's okay, what's not okay, what you, you know, what you should consent to maybe, or what you shouldn't, learning about like that you have a right to say no to certain things, which I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about when it comes to hobbies that you still can just be like, you know what, that doesn't make me comfortable. I don't want to do that. That's fine. Uh, And the books cover all of that, um, including all the history we've talked about and a lot of the cool history of like uh, manga and anime in Japan and how they kind of took over the world with cute, adorable art. I love it. Um, as well as, like, um, the history of, like, how... Why is Star Wars so popular? Um, I think a, l- a large part of why we have cosplay the way we have it now is because of Star Wars. And I explain that in the book. It's a very long essay, no? Um, it's essentially my TED Talk, right? Uh, <laughs> but it also, like I said earlier, has a lot of stuff to do with... Uh, working out what fabrics you need, learning about all the different types of fabrics and materials you can learn to make, use to make cosplay, all the different types of cosplay that you can try, how to even pick your first character to do, because sometimes I get overwhelmed by the amount of things I want to cosplay and I just need a spreadsheet to be like, right, what am I going to pick? Let's let's break this down. <laughs> like, let's have a list. Uh, stuff like that. So it's all anything you could possibly ever think of to do with cosplay is in these books. And if you want to have a go at the hobby, you want to give it a good you know a good chance and all that kind of stuff i would i would blow my own trumpet but i would say this is the place to start more than anything else because it gives you every you know every piece of knowledge you need going forward and where to look for more advanced bits and pieces of work that's my books Um, and the third book oh my god yeah sorry i forgot about that so the third book is um not cosplay related specifically but it does have cosplay involved and it's much more about the history of fandom as a whole thing and how we have got to the point of having things like fandoms um and have they always kind of been a a thing like we talked about before human nature and these kind of things like i am currently uh looking into byron mania and the obsession with lord byron that happened uh around the time that his works were coming out he was sort of the first proper celebrity that we would know celebrity as um and um, my, I, I would love to argue that almost anything written by the Brontes is just self-insert Byron fan fiction. Um, and I think there's probably some scholars out there who might get angry at me, but like I'm there going, you mean these, these poor young women who are trapped in a house when a tall, dark, handsome stranger comes and changes their lives and he's so brooding and wonderful and romantic? That's not... <laughs> oh... <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I can have some arguments with some academics on that one, but it's funny to at least make the point, if nothing else. Okay, I, I look forward to reading that one. I'll send it. I'll send it to you. I'll be like, Nick, the book is here. <laughs> look at my insanity. <laughs> look, look how weird it got. <laughs> look at what I tried to justify. No. I just got. A, I just really found it interesting that I look, started looking into things like Beatlemania. 
and the right like basically how particularly teenage girls are trendsetters they're the ones you turn like if you want to know what's going to be the next big thing i can promise you that teenage girls will be there first um and it's really interesting to see that kind of you can work that backwards almost and sort of find those trends again um in earlier periods of history and obviously again a lot of it has to do with things like literacy and education and and stuff like that so the reason byron mania happens is because a lot more women are, are learning to read in that period and stuff like that particularly women in the in the um middle and upper classes and stuff so you start seeing kind of that kind of thing happen and then and it's it's very true you want to know what's going to sell you want to know what's going to make money look to what teenage girls are into and it doesn't necessarily mean it's i don't i don't think anything teenagers are into necessarily means it's good but it, it's definitely popular um you know so that's gonna be what it's all about is that kind of stuff so also some bits about serial killers because terrifying um dark fandoms who knew that was a thing people who are really well, into true crime people are really weird yeah i was listening to something about true crime the other day about how that is really destroying real crime is it because real crime can't live up to true crime there's hardly there's hardly any sort of true crime cases out there because real crime is just so boring it's mundane it's every day mundane and sad the true crime ones are always the most like ridiculous ones and half the time whenever i listen to true crime stuff i'm always a bit like this doesn't sound real you know like how could this even some of this sounds made up (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure it's not but you know a bit like midsummer murders or the crime Mm. drama where it's sort of hmm, yeah I think it's sort of a new wave of this sort of armchair detective thing that they, the, you know, you kind of had the Sherlock Holmes armchair detectives and Agatha Christie and all that kind of stuff, but this is real and, and that's kind of, but it's the same sort of feeling almost that I get from mm. it. Again, it, it's a really, like I said, I've been researching a lot into this stuff and it, it's very interesting to kind of see what happens with those sorts of things. Some people, it's sort of very mundane. It's just they're interested in it and it might as well be made up. It might as well be fiction. But then people start buying like memorabilia and like things that were owned by these people, and you're like, oh yeah. no, why? why? It's like when people buy like <laughs> Nazi memorabilia, and you're like, well, no, that seems like a red flag, you know. But it's that kind of stuff. And when you talk about fandom, you have to, you can't not talk about those things. You can't just be like, oh, it's all fun and fluffy. And then you sort of end up with Q, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, QAnon, I would absolutely argue that QAnon is a fandom, that it at least started as a fandom. Whether it... It started, I think it started as a joke, it became yeah. a fandom, and is now... A cult? A farce, a cult, yeah. yes. <laughs> I, I mean, I would absolutely make an argument that the sort of higher levels of fandoms, the, the bigger, more extreme ones, I guess, it doesn't necessarily mean bigger, actually, just extremer, um, border on cult behaviour almost like almost religious fanaticism in some regards it's really interesting when you kind of look at it um and i am looking at it far too much at the moment (laughs) we'll see if i go mad in the in the time i spend researching it so it sounds like you should come back to uh gomology a podcast about cults and weird stuff yeah (laughs) let's talk about cults let's go (laughs) (laughs) oh i'd love that would be so funny it's like i accidentally turned this podcast into some weird true crime nonsense there you go. I mean, you never know where a where a conversation will end up. And there you go, ladies and gents.
Holly Swinyard, author and cult specialist, <laughs> or something. Thank you very much, Holly. It was great having you back. And, Thank uh, you. Oh. Good luck with the books. It's been great to be here. Um, I've really enjoyed it. It's always great to chat. So bye-bye for now. Bye. And that's all for this week's episode of Garmology. If you'd like to check out my guest further, there's links in the show notes. There's also links to uh, how you can uh, support the pod by buying me a cup of coffee. She's perfectly optional. I'm just pleased you're listening. If you'd like to get in touch, suggest a guest, just let me know what you think. It's uh, welldressedad at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram as welldressedad. So, until next week, bye-bye. <laughs>